What is up, listeners? I'm your host, Nick Lightfoot, and this is the very first episode of No BS Finance. As this is the first episode, I'm going to start off with a little intro about myself and the podcast, what we want to learn, what we want to cover, all that jazz. But if you don't really give a shit about me or anything like that and who I am, um, then go for it. Skip to the four minute mark and you can kind of get into the podcast from there. So as I already mentioned, my name is Nick Lightfoot. Um, I'm from Canada, Uh, grew up in the Vancouver region, currently living in the Okanagan. Um, I went to school in Calgary and got my business degree. Now I'm on the verge of getting my CPA, which is the professional accounting designation. Um, My work history, I worked for a big four accounting firm for a few years, worked with financial institutions, so credit unions, banks, mutual funds, all that kind of jazz. Gave me a really good insight into um, the inner workings of the financial system, even though those three years took about 10 years off my life. Uh, anyways, so moving away from myself, uh, moving on to the podcast, um, I want to cover all things finance, everything that you guys kind of want to know. So gotten a lot of feedback about investing mortgages, um, credit cards, basically anything you guys want to learn about. Um, I'm open to taking your guys's questions, your guys's real life scenarios, um, anything like that, anything to, so the listeners can kind of get the most out of this podcast. Um, the, what I kind of want you guys to get out of it is I want you guys to be able to take control of your finances. Um, I want you guys to be able to understand the lingo and jargon that kind of comes with it. And I want you guys to learn the stuff you want to learn. Like if you guys want to learn about mortgages, if you guys are going to be buying a house soon, I want you guys to learn about that. And I want you guys to know what to expect going into it. Um, so just a couple of disclosures, um, before we kind of get into it is this podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not intended as investment opinions or advice. And the other one is I also offer one-on-one consulting services for anyone that is interested in a more custom approach or maybe has very specific questions and needs kind of a roadmap or a plan to get there. So other than that, guys, without further ado, let's get into the podcast. We are going to start this very first podcast by talking about currency and bank accounts and a little bit into how banks work. And I know what you're thinking, Nick, this sounds like shit and it sounds boring. Why would I even listen to this? Um, well, you can listen to it because it's helpful. Um, I'm going to try and keep it light. I'm going to try and keep it a little bit funny. Might keep some, might put some stories in there and uh, maybe make it a little bit more exciting for you guys. But underlying guys like it's important to know about currencies it's important to know about the whole um how they work um how they're interrelated it's important to know bank accounts guys because everybody has a bank account you need to know how to use them uh what are the drawbacks benefits that kind of stuff and then how banks work it's just good to know so you don't give the banks more money than you're already probably giving them uh so that's just a couple of reasons guys um just so you kind of stick around. But anyways, let's get into currencies. So as I'm sure we're all aware, there are many different currencies in the world. So obviously where I live, it is the Canadian dollar. There's the US dollar just down south and even south of that. There's the Mexican peso. There's the Japanese yen. There's the euro. There's the great British pound. Like there are all kinds of currencies, guys. One for each country. 
um, unless you're part of a block or something, but that's a different story. Um, but the thing that is important for you guys to know is how the currencies are interrelated. So the example I have is the Canadian to US dollar. It's uh, the exchange rate I use the most, so I'm pretty familiar with it and it's easy to use. So what you'll probably see is US dollar to Canadian dollar is 1.3. That 1.3 is the foreign exchange rate or FX rate for short. So what does this 1.3 mean? So this means that one US dollar is equal to 1.3 Canadian dollars. So I like to think about it in bigger terms. Uh, I usually use, I like to use um, $100. So 100 US dollars is equal to 130 Canadian dollars. So this just means that the Canadian dollar is worth less than the US dollar. Um, and if you want to flip it the other way and you want to go, oh, but like I have 100 Canadian dollars, how much is that worth in US? All you have to do is do one divided by 1.3 and you'll kind of get the inverse of that. Um, so when I say that the Canadian dollar is worth less, it just means, as an example, like I go down to the States and I'm like, oh, I want to buy, I don't know, $100 worth of oranges and say I get 200 oranges and then I go to Canada and I'm like, oh, I have $100, 100 Canadian dollars and I want to buy oranges. Maybe I only get 150 oranges. Does that make sense? Hopefully it makes sense, but it just means that your purchasing power isn't as much. You're not gonna be able to, to buy as much with 100 Canadian dollars as opposed to 100 US dollars. So now that the exciting part is done with, why does this actually matter to you? This really only matters to you or to the everyday person when you're traveling. Um, unless you own a business or a small business where you're doing international goods, stuff like that, um, then it is obviously applicable for you, but we're not going to touch on that because the everyday person doesn't fucking care. So we are going to talk about traveling. So the FX rate matters when you're traveling because you want to make sure that you're not overspending on goods somewhere else. So for example, I am Canadian. I go to Mexico who has the Mexican peso and I want to make sure that like I'm not spending too much Canadian dollars or more than I think. So a good way to think about this guys is if I'm traveling or if I'm say I'm going to Europe and I'm not exactly sure what the exchange rate is off the top of my head, but a good way to do it is to always have a baseline FX rate in your head when you go somewhere. So, so before you go, and then you can always go back to that um, FX rate in your head so you can go back to your home currency, if that kind of makes sense. So if I go to Europe, I can buy something that's $1,000 and then I can make the Euro go into Canadian dollars and then I can figure out how much I'm spending in my home currency so it's more applicable to myself. Um, always a good way to have that just in the back of your mind to make sure you're not overspending when you're away. Um, another question that kind of came up when I was, you know what, it's kind of always been there for me, is why do people always bring cash when they travel abroad? Like I do it and I just do it because, I mean, my parents did it. So why wouldn't I do it? Um, and then I kind of started 
asking myself the question of like, why the fuck do we actually do this? Like, it doesn't really make, I don't know, like from an external point of view, it doesn't really make that much sense. Like I'm, why would I, why, like, why would I take out cash? I have credit cards. I have all this other stuff. And I think there is some value to bring cash. Um, I do think that it's just ingrained in us from um, our parents and uh, aunts, uncles, that kind of stuff, just because when they were traveling, credit cards probably weren't as widely used worldwide. Um, there was probably not a lot of places that accepted credit cards and there was probably fees associated to these credit cards with foreign transactions. But as the world has kind of uh, grown and expanded and now credit cards are widely accepted pretty much everywhere, um, we haven't seen as much um, FX fees associated with purchases and stuff. And they're, and credit cards are just accepted a lot more. So while I do think there is value in bringing cash, especially when, um, when we think about it on kind of a broad scale. So if I'm going to a broker to get cash before I leave, you kind of spend, you kind of soak those FX fees kind of all up front in one go. So you're like, oh, I took out $500 and the FX fees were, I don't know, $50. I know that I spent $50 on FX fees. Whereas if you are using credit cards, then you might not know like what kind of FX fee you're getting on your credit card and it's all small purchases. So you might not be adding it up if that, if that kind of goes through. Um, so my recommendation would be still take out cash. Like I think there's a lot of value in bringing cash, especially for if you're going somewhere and there's a lot of local vendors and you, they might not have access to credit card machines, stuff like that, then yeah, definitely bring some cash. But I do think that you can use your credit card a lot more than people used to. So don't be scared to use your, your credit card. Um, but do look into if there are FX fees associated with your credit card, you can just look up um, the information on your credit card on your online banking and it'll just give you like if they're, they charge a certain percentage on top, which some credit cards still do. Um, I think a lot of them have dropped it though. So definitely something to look at. Um, the last thing I want to touch on with currencies is people will ask me, um, how do I save money on FX fees? And my recommendation would be to find the three closest to your place. Um, you can either call or sometimes their website will have their live um, FX rate. Find the FX rate that is the most favorable. Call them. Ask if they can lock it in for the next, I don't know how long it takes to get there, 30 minutes. You drive there and you pick that one and you exchange your money there. Uh, you'll probably save... It depends on how much you're exchanging, but you'll save some money there. And that's probably the best way to do it. All right, next up, we are gonna talk about bank accounts. I know, Nick, super, super exciting, but it needs to be done and needs to be said because, well, I feel like a lot of people just don't know the two different types of bank accounts. And if you do, you don't really know the difference. I know I didn't until, I don't know, probably university just full disclosure. Um, so there are two types. There are the savings account and there are the checkings account. So what is the difference? The checkings account, you can pay your bills. You can do direct deposit. You can write checks, checkings account. Um, and it's pretty liquid. Liquid means that you can readily available as cash. It is cash. Let's just say that the checkings account is cash. 
pretty much it's just an electronic form. Um, the one downside is you don't really earn anything on that money. So you're not going to earn a return. You're not going to earn any yeah, money back. The savings account, on the other hand, will give you a return. It'll give you a small return. Um, I actually don't know the going rate for savings account. I think it's right around 2%, um, which does not outmatch inflation or inflation. So take that as it may. But the savings account, you can still pay your bills. Uh, I don't think you can write checks, i.e., or that's the reason for the checkings account originally, I think. Um, I don't think you can do direct deposit with your savings account. I think there is a limit on most transactions for your savings account, um, be that tw 10, 20 per month. And if you go over that, then you get charged money. And the money that you get charged, therefore, outweighs the return that you're going to make because the return is so small. Um, so because you kind of get dinged on transactions with the savings account, why would you take that risk and use it for anything? That's my whole reasoning for why I don't really use the savings account. It doesn't earn a good return and there's the possibility of giving the money or giving the money back to the bank. So I keep most of my money in my checkings account because you can do everything with it. It's the same as cash. And then I do keep a small portion in my savings account more for like peace of mind in case like an emergency comes up and I'm like, oh, like I don't have enough in my checkings. And then I look at my savings, and I'm like, oh, I do have that extra bit. And it's just like almost like a back of your mind uh, pool of money that just kind of sits there but doesn't really do a whole lot. Um, so that's the reason that I use this, the checkings account more than the savings account. That's kind of the difference. Um, one thing that I am going to touch on here, and it is going to be a fucking rant, and it is debit cards. So we all have debit cards because you have a bank account. If you don't have a bank account, get a bank account and then get a debit card and then get a credit card. Um, so debit cards are treated as, or can be treated as cash. What I don't understand is why the fuck do people use debit cards for everyday transactions? My reasoning for why this fires me up is credit cards give you rewards. So for example, so say I have, say I have, um, I don't know, a credit card that gives me rewards for flights. So if I make a 40 or you know, we won't go that high. I make a $10,000 purchase. So I can make that $10,000 purchase on my debit card where I get nothing back and I basically paid for it in cash. That's, that's fine, whatever. But I could also pay for that on my credit card where I a $10,000 purchase, I don't know how good your credit card is, but maybe that pays for half a flight. Maybe that pays for a full flight. And then you basically just get something for free. So why would you pay for something where you don't get rewarded when you can pay for something where you're going to get rewarded? You can get merchandise, you can get flight tickets, you can get gift cards, like all this kind of stuff. It makes no sense to me why you, why you would use your debit card. Like, yes, people are like, oh, credit card debt's bad. Yeah, if you don't pay it off, like if, you, if you're spending way more money than you have in your bank account, then yes, it's going to be bad. And it would be bad even if you had your debit card because then you'd be spending more money that's in your account. So use your credit card, guys. Like we're, I'm, I'm going to be touching on credit cards more in the next episode, but for right now, use your credit card. Like obviously don't spend more that's in, than what is in your bank account, but don't waste your time and use your debit card for everything. It's basically paying in cash. You're not getting anything back and it makes no fucking sense. So don't do it. 
Well, that was a fun rant by Nick. Um, so moving on from bank accounts, um, I want to touch quickly on how banks work, mostly so you guys don't give them more money. And so you kind of see um, mainly how loans and mortgages work. Um, we're going to touch on that in a later episode as well in more detail, but just generally how banks are kind of making money off you and also why you need them. So how do banks make money? Banks make money through overdraft fees. So that's when you don't have enough money in your account to cover a payment. Um, they make money on interest on loans, service charges. So too many transactions, late payments on credit cards and loans and investments. Now, some of these are under your control. So late payments, overdrafts, stuff like that. Stop giving them money. Banks have enough money. They have billions of dollars. Don't give them more when it's your hard-earned money. Another topic that I want to touch on with banks is interest. So banks can give out loans and they charge either a fixed or variable interest rate. So if you're um, if you have a mortgage, you're probably you probably know all about this. But a fixed a fixed rate means that the rate is locked in. For mortgages, it's five years. For loans, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how long you can actually get them locked in for. But for yeah, for mortgages, I think it's only five years now. And generally, you'll notice that the fixed rate is slightly higher than the variable rate because the variable rate can change over the life of the loan depending on world economics and stuff like that and it's more risky because say say I have the option so I'm getting a mortgage and I'm like oh the fixed rate is at 5% but the variable rate is at 4.75% so I'm like oh well why wouldn't I go with the variable that sounds awesome like it's less but say two months go by and the fixed rate is still at 5%, but the variable rate has gone up to 5.25%. Now you're like, fuck me, now I'm paying more. Like, this sucks. And it could and it could continue to go up throughout five years or however long. Um, but at the same time, it also could go down. Uh, the person could lock in at 5%, you could be the variable rate at 4.75, and then you go, and then world economics happen, and interest rates drop, and suddenly you're looking at a 4% loan and you're now 1% better than the fixed rate. So it just depends on whether you can afford to kind of go higher. You never bet never bet on the lower, but that's just my, my two cents there. Um, interest rates or interest payments are straight profit for the bank. So if I have a $100,000 loan, it has a 5% interest, $5,000 is straight profit for the bank. Um, you still have to pay off the interest or you still have to pay off the principal of the loan. So like of that $100,000, you still have to pay that down. The 5,000 is just extra on top. And we'll get into it later, but as the balance of the loan goes down, your interest payments will go down, your principal will stay the same, that kind of thing. But that's generally how interest works, um, how banks kind of make money off them. Um, now, one question that came to my mind when I was in university was, how do banks actually get the money to loan out? Like, I feel like when we see banks, we're just like, oh, they're a money-making machine. They have all this money. Like, no wonder they have all this money to loan out. But actually, it's um, a, a big portion of it is the money in your bank account. Like, your, your $10,000 in 
your bank account doesn't just sit there in a big vault waiting for someone to steal it and just go untouched. No, like the bank will loan that out, they'll invest it, that kind of stuff, and they'll make money off your money. So the key takeaway there, guys, is don't give the banks free money. Like, please just pay off your credit cards on time. Don't spend more than you have. Don't make more transactions than you're allowed. Like, all you need to do, guys, is just be a little bit on top of it, and then you won't lose these lose this unnecessary money. Like when I think about it is people are like, Oh, uh, I can't afford this coffee. So say the coffee is two fifty. They're like, Oh no, like I can't, I can't buy this coffee. Like I'm trying to save money. And then they go and do too many transactions in their savings account. And that costs them $2. It's like, if you just paid attention here, you probably could have afforded the coffee. Like, I don't know. In my mind, there's a trade off and it's such simple things, guys. Like especially paying off your credit card, like just go to your online banking once a month, look at the, look at the statement, pay it. And that's about it. Like there, you've covered your late payments. Uh, you've like, you've paid it off in full. Uh, just, just don't give them free money guys. Like that's, that's the end of the story. And it's, it's as easy as that. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps up today's episode. Um, I'm just going to give a quick, some quick summary points um, and then just some final closing remarks here. But a summary of today's episode, guys, is use your checkings account over your savings account. Savings account has a few more drawbacks with it and just requires like a little bit more um, yeah, upkeep, I would say. Um, use a credit card instead of debit cards with your purchases. I can't stress that enough. Fucking do it. Convert currencies in your head while you're traveling so you don't overspend. Check the FX fees on your credit cards to make sure that when you do travel and you use your credit card that you're not going to kind of get charged in like a 3 or 5% on every purchase. And the last one, which I just stressed, is don't give banks free money. Don't overspend. Pay your credit cards in full and pay them on time. Well, thank you guys so much for listening and I hope you guys learned something new. Um, the next episode will be covering all things credit cards. Um, so shoot me an email with questions, real life scenarios you want me to cover, even if it doesn't have to do with credit cards guys, or like something that we've talked about. Um, if it is something that I'm going to cover in a future episode, I'll shoot you an email back and just say that. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, to kind of address these questions on air or not on air. What am I a fucking radio host? Like on the podcast. Um, yeah, happy to do that. Um, if you like the podcast, um, you can like it, you can download it, um, share it with your friends. That means a lot to me. Um, the more people we can kind of get on here learning about finance, learning about their own personal finances does a lot. Um, if you hate the podcast, just stop listening, I guess, or you can send me some feedback and then stop listening. That would be probably appreciated a bit more. And as I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, um, if you want a personal touch, reach out via email um, or I guess Instagram too, which I check periodically. Um, We can set up an in-person or virtual consultation where I can help you out with kind of your specific circumstances. Well, thank you so much, guys, um, and we'll see you next time.